electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer America. Other people want to friends, I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. The big story today wasn't the tepid action, Dow dipping 54 points, S&P backsliding 0.25%, NASDAQ losing 0.38%. It was the tragic comedy that is ATT. This morning, in what many in the media are calling a blockbuster transformational deal, ATT told us that it's spinning off its Time Warner media assets, merging them with Discovery to create an entertainment colossus. The company gets $43 billion, and ATT's shareholders own 71% of the media business. Somehow, almost all the commentary about the deal was positive, like it's a terrific outcome for all involved. I honestly couldn't believe my ears. It's not a transformational deal, for heaven's sake. It's the final act in one of the dumbest mergers in recent history. That's right, ATT's $85 billion acquisition of Time Warner, a deal that closed less than three years ago. It's impossible for me to talk about this transaction with a straight face, really. I mean, if you look back at the reasons they acquired Time Warner in the first place, it was pure idiocy from the beginning. Go read the headlines. Go read the stories like I did today. There was lots of gobbledygook about how AT&T's strength and distribution and knowledge of customers could be synergized with the creative talent of Time Warner. AT&T CEO at the time, Randall Stevenson, said, said many times, he said, we're going to bring a fresh approach to how the media and entertainment industry works for consumers, content creators, and average. Advertisers. Uh, why the heck would a phone company buy a media business? Good question. Stevenson repeatedly talked about how most media companies don't have a direct relationship with their viewers. Turns out that's because there's no point in having one. Today's move is a major repudiation of that nonsense. At th- th- all this talk of synergies and monetizing ATT's close relationship with its customers was totally chimerical. I've seen new CEOs coming from outside dismantling some operation when they take over. But to spin off Time Warner like this from an insider who would run the division, it's almost unprecedented. There must have been nothing special at all to the acquisition to begin with, except the huge amount of debt ATT took on to buy the darn thing. Debt they couldn't afford if they were going to build out 5G and keep the dividend. Oh, yeah, that's right. Keep the dividend, the one thing that most of the shareholders of ATT wanted. 
Now, if you read the fine print, you'll find that the dividend has been cut in half. Oh, of course, they didn't say that. That'd be too brutal. They didn't say that at all. They said, quote, after the close and close and subject to ATT board approval, ATT expects an annual dividend payout ratio of 40 to 43 percent or anticipated free cash flow of 20 billion dollars plus. Woo, that sounds good, right? I mean, must be, maybe it's a dividend boost. <laughs> if you do the math, it's a 50 percent dividend cut. Transformational. I got another word for it. How about disgraceful? To me, this was a tremendous destruction of value. Was there really nothing to all that direct relationship nonsense they used to justify the Time Warner acquisition? I heard a lot of talk today about how the entertainment landscape changes so fast that ATT needed to do something to keep up, and this spinoff was it. Spare me. It's not that the entertainment business changed. It's that the deal never made sense in the first place. There's no synergy in a wireless provider owning HBO. The truth is ATT made a boneheaded decision, and now they're paying for it. But in corporate America... No one really pays for it. No one's even allowed to say it. No one's allowed to admit it. No one can admit, quote, and this is one, this is a quote that I would have put in the press release. My predecessor made one heck of a moronic move paying $85 billion for Time Warner just a couple of years ago, money we didn't have, claiming our wireless subscriber base would somehow augment the media business. But it turns out we're just a heavily indebted cell phone company with no important consumer relationship at all. Because that well-heeled, well-compensated bozo paid so much for no reason whatsoever, I have to dump this thing for about half of what we paid and also cut the dividend in half, even though I know the only reason my shareholders bought AT&T was a source of income, period, end quote. There, I would give them that quote. That's, that would be good, right? I mean, that would add an advantage of being true. Now, few CEOs are that honest, but a candid admission, at least that they screwed up, would have been so much better than all the garbage I heard today. So what does this story really mean for you, the shareholder? Well, first, here's some learning lessons. In corporate America, anything goes. No one's going to stick up for you, the existing shareholder, who got suckered into owning this one because AT&T told a fantastical story about how the synergy from the deal would support their dividend. No one apologizes over the waste, even though they effectively lit billions of dollars on fire right up the chimney. No one disparages the guy who put the whole stupid deal together or even mentions the now dubious rationale. When Randall Stevenson stepped down last year, what did he get? He got a $64 million retirement package. Thanks for nothing. Here's your hat. What's your hurry? Don't let the door hit you on the way out. Then you have to wonder what really went wrong here. Well, you could say it's the bogus concept, but that's only part of it. The other part, this is what happens when you run the most heavily indebted company in America. I could tolerate this blundering by Apple or Alphabet or Facebook. <laughs> They'd never do something as stupid, but at least they're sitting on mountains of cash so they can afford to make mistakes. But AT&T already had billions upon billions in debt, including, by the way, $48.5 billion from another ill-fated acquisition that now spun off DirecTV seven years ago. Given the state of the balance sheet, this Time Warner deal was completely ill-advised. And boy, oh boy, am I putting it politely. Second, it's a great way to learn why you should never reach for yield. Because most of the time when you have a stock that is at 6.6% yield in this low interest rate environment, it means there's something very wrong. Otherwise, the stock would be higher and the yield would be lower. I say great only because if you bought ATT within the last few months, it's probably possible you didn't get hurt learning this lesson if you dumped it today. When I said you should, when it was still up, it deservedly ended up down 2.7% to close at $31.37. I got some, I got some insight. It may not be done going down. Finally, unlike sports, there's no referees in this business. There's nobody to say, nope, uh, you can't do this. It's against the rules. In theory, the board of directors could play that role, but I don't think ATT's board played that role. It's fortunate that so many American companies have very little debt and are very less, far less desperate than ATT when it comes to direction or discipline. 
There are three companies, for instance, with good balance sheets trying to make acquisitions right now. All three make a ton of sense. So let me show you how you can do it, all right? So you've got Salesforce trying to buy Slack for $27 billion, NVIDIA trying to buy ARM Holdings for $40 billion, and Advanced Micro Devices closing in on Xilinx for $35 billion. Salesforce.com needs Slack as a way to compete with Microsoft. Slack's a terrific product, and CEO Mark Benioff is a tremendous acquirer who has repeatedly proven his doubters wrong in these acquisitions. Now, NVIDIA wants to own the device business, and ARM Holdings has, has the best chips for mobile devices. The combination could be so unbeatable that maybe the deal might not happen. The governments may not work it. The British government's against it. Uh, AMD, with the weakest balance sheet of the lot, needs Xilinx to diversify away from PCs and servers and a reawaken Intel. Xilinx chips are in very different markets, including cars, aerospace, and healthcare. These deals make sense. This is what you do. It's not all acquisitions are bad. These are the kinds of acquisitions where the rationale is so clear that it's not even arguable. There's no alchemy here. Plus, each of these CEOs has earned the benefit of the doubt when it comes to big strategic decisions. The bottom line, ATT should never have bought Time Warner for $85 billion to begin with. There is only one winner here, a fellow by the name of Jeff Bukas, the man who sold Time Warner to ATT and made a fortune for his shareholders. He's the one who should be celebrated. As for everyone involved in ATT, the whole thing is just a non-transformational clown show. James in Illinois. James. Booyah, Jimmy, chill, first time, long time. Well, to chill in the house, although not really for this first one, what's going on? Well, thank you for taking my call. And your 16 years of education, entertainment, and enthusiasm. Thank you. you. Bring yeah, it every, I try to bring it. Bring I it try to bring night, it every Jim. day. I try to bring, bring it. it. What's up? Jim, Revenue, the eighth largest pharmacy company in the world, Sanofi. Yeah. With their diabetes treatment, asthma control, their joint adventure with GlaxoSmithKline on COVID-19 vaccination, and Sanofi, PE being Sorry. nine, well, Pfizer's 20, Merck 28, Novartis 25, is it a growth in income? Sanofi, is it a buy? Yeah, look, I, well, I've had Paul Hudson on the show many times, and I think it's a very good company. It's got a 3.5% yield. It's very good. Uh, it is, uh, historically, I, I, I would have expected more from the vaccine, uh, the, well, the drug they have on COVID. But, boy, they're a good company. I think you've got something good there. And thank you for the kind comments. Let's go to Henry in Colorado. Henry. Mr. Kramer, hello, sir. How are you? I am good. How about you? I'm doing well. Thank you. Uh, a couple of uh, months ago, you had a, uh, I recommended some several dividend stocks, uh, one of them being B&G Foods, ticker BGS. Mm-hmm. I was wondering if it is. Uh, inflationary environment. Uh, do you still recommend it? At well, I, I, they did not have a good quarter. They didn't give good guidance. Uh, I mean, look, what, what happens is with a lot of the food companies, but it does yield six and a half. They never cut the dividend during the bad days, but it is leaderless right now. Let the guy come on. I think the new CEO should come on. We've got a revolving door there. It's unappealing to me. That would change things. The guy would come here and explain to us what happened with the last, last CEO. All right? Now, eight, I'd like to know what's the matter with that? AT&T never should have bought Time Warner for 85 billion big ones. The only winner here, Jeff Bukas, who sold Time Warner to AT&T and didn't get celebrated enough today. We were so, everyone's so busy fawning over, well, whatever. Don't get me started. On Man Money tonight, weather outlets are forecasting an above-average hurricane season this year. And combined with an aging electrical grid, the, wide, the potential for widespread power outages have some homeowners on high alert, as they should be. So I'm going to be talking to Generac on how it can help. Then, what's next for the high-growth software stocks? I'll tell you if the group has finally put it at the bottom. And an under-the-radar way to play cannabis legalization across the U.S. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. 
Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to Indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The last few months, Slasher's biggest winners have been hammered even as many of them keep delivering astonishing earnings. Take Generac, a company that's best known for its in-home power generators, best in show, by the way, although in recent years they've made a series of acquisitions in energy storage and distributed energy technology that lets people sell their own power back to the electric grid. Generac's been building a whole new ecosystem here, and they've been phenomenally successful, especially after COVID hit and made home energy a much higher priority. I was, spoke with them 14 months ago, just when this new venture was getting started. Stock was at 116. It is now at 293, nearly a triple. And that's after pulling back 70 bucks from its highs. And look, the fundamentals are fantastic. In late April, Generac reported yet another blowout quarter of management substantially raised in full year forecast. Yet after initially jumping 6% in response, the stock's now falling 13%. Hey, you're getting that quarter for free. I say enough is enough right here, right now. This story is too enticing to ignore. So let's take a closer look with Aaron Yagfeld. He's the chairman and CEO of Generac. Get a clearer picture of his vision, Mr. Yagfeld. Welcome back to Mad Money. Thanks for having me back, Jim. Good to see you. Well, Aaron, we got a great opportunity here. You seem to be the only person other than me who recognizes that Superstorm Uri was a game-changing event. You caught one of the five major outages ever. I'd like you to use Uri as a prison to tell, talk to, to people about how important Generac is. Well, I'll tell you, I think something like Uri pointed out that, uh, you know, the grid is going through some massive changes. And there's a problem with keeping things in balance between supply and demand. So you have on the supply side, 
a lot of change going on with more renewables being mandated. You know, we're trying to decarbonize our power, you know, production. And in doing that, uh, that creates some unique challenges around the volatility of those renewable sources. And then on the demand side, we're electrifying everything, right? So everything from our heating and our cooling to our transportation is being electrified. So you've got some big changes in the grid. And what's happening with that is it creates some, some strange stresses. When you get weather events like very you know, severe heat or severe cold, it's really bringing to bear. You had this out in California last summer. You had the heat waves. You had rolling blackouts. You had URI here in, in February. And what it's brought to bear is the, the importance of power security, especially with everybody working from home, learning from home, doing everything from home right now. Well, I think that your phrase, home as a sanctuary, is so important at this time. And if your home is a sanctuary, you need GenRAC. Absolutely. I mean, we need our power. Look, think of everything in our lives today, right? We take power for granted. You take power for granted until you lose it. And then you think about everything in your home. Things become very primitive very, very quickly. And everything we depend on for, again, being able to work from home or learn from home, entertain from home, shop from home, we're exercising from home. Everything we have is this home is a sanctuary. It's the focus on the home. And power is critical to making all of that work. And you're basically creating a virtual power plant? Absolutely. So what we're doing is we're providing people everything they need in their arsenal to basically create their own small microgrid, a personal grid, if you will, whether it's solar on the rooftop or a battery cabinet that's paired with the solar to store some power or a generator to maybe charge the battery or to use when you have extended outages. Basically, we give you your own power company uh, in your own home. So, Aaron, I did some checking. A lot of people are enamored of everything Elon Musk says. They hang on every word. But your battery capacity is far superior to Tesla's, correct? It is. We offer bigger batteries because what we want to do is we want to provide people power for when there are outages. What Tesla's batteries do and what other people's batteries do in the clean energy space is they tend to play the arbitrage. They store some power off the rooftop, sell it back to the power company when it's favorable. Most of our batteries, though, are built around really longevity for long duration outages. So it's, it's what we heard from people. It's why we offer the product that we offer. But really, we believe it's a better solution. So you think that, uh, you know, our previous president wasn't really big into, say, climate control. But uh, what I felt when I read through all the different instances when I need, when GenRAC needs is needed, that we just have to let's just say uh, whether you're for or against Trump, there are weather events that occur that didn't used to occur, Aaron. I mean, I don't know. I, and the grid is older than when we were younger. It is. I mean, you look at what, and again, climate change, we're not meteorologists here, but right. storms are getting more intense, right? So we see hurricanes that are causing more damage. We see uh, the storms like Winter Storm Uri. You know, these events that used to happen every 100 years are happening every 10 years, every five years. And our grid is old and it's above ground. It's, it's not protected and it's susceptible to these types of events. And it's under a lot of stress. Again, the supply side, the demand side is changing. And where we come out is we come out without power. Power outages are on the rise and have been for the last couple of decades. They're happening more frequently and they're lasting longer. And again, I think people are just tired of it. And that's why our products have been in such high demand. Since the time you've been on, I did not know about the 5G play. And I think it's important because it's still one more reason why people should be owning your stock. It's another huge part of infrastructure, right? I mean, everything is wireless today. You use, we're, we're all tethered to our devices. And with the, with the shift to the next gen- generation technology, you're going to see some really high-functioning uh, new technologies coming out of that, from driverless vehicles to drone delivery to robotic surgery. It's all going to be on the backbone of that 5G network. But none of it works without a continuous source of power. And what the telecom companies are going to have to do is they're really going to have to up their game in terms of reliability. And that's where we come in. 
We're the number one provider of backup power to all of the major providers in the wireless telecom space. And we've been doing that for over 30 years. And we think that that's a space that is going to grow tremendously over the next five years. Oh, one last one. Um, you actually mentioned the aging population, the demo in our country uh, impacts your sales. Absolutely. I mean, think about it today, especially with the pandemic. I mean, so many people just they want to stay in their home as long as possible. Right. They don't want to move to an assisted living facility. They want to care for themselves. They want to be independent. And that's exactly what a Generac generator or a Generac power cell can give for them. They can be independent and, you know, they don't have to worry about if they lose power because that's a serious thing. When when you're younger and you lose power, you can manage things. Right. But when you get older, it becomes a lot more difficult to manage the temperature, to manage just generally getting around your home. Things get very dangerous inside your own home, especially if you have medical devices or medications that need to be refrigerated. So as the population continues to age, again, another tremendous setup for us, at least as we see it from a macro uh, macro uh, theme. I wish I couldn't say this, but I can't agree with you more. Thanks, Aaron, Jim. Aaron Yagfeld, Chairman, President and CEO of Genrac. Remember, this stock tripled since it was on last. I think it's about to have another major move. Aaron, great to see you. Great to see you, Jim. Thanks. Look, this is the stock for this moment, and it came down hard today. I think it's pretty attractive. Their money's back in the break. Coming up, for cloud-conscious home gamers, 40% to freedom could be the only chance they have to make good, even when the market's bad. Kramer crunches the numbers on a need-to-know metric. Next. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. After last week's roller coaster action, is it finally time to revisit the expensive cloud-based software stocks? These companies keep putting up some really great numbers, but because we've got a booming economy, money managers have been falling all over themselves to dump the software-as-a-service names. That's the power of this rotation. When the economy's growing like crazy, Wall Street swaps out of consistently excellent companies like the cloud plays and swaps into boom-and-bust cyclicals that can put up incredible numbers right now. Plus, a booming economy tends to produce inflation, which makes us pay less for growth stocks because they trade based on future earnings many years down the road. And high inflation, well, what does that mean? High inflation means future earnings have less purchasing power. 
Now, though, the inflation narrative is falling apart to some degree, which is why all this thing's tech managed to rebound hard off their lows late last week. Meanwhile, the formerly red-hot sulfur stocks have pulled back substantially from their highs. Last week, J.P. Morgan Sterling Audit, he's one of the best software analysts I follow, pointed out that aside from the dot-com collapse, the biggest software sell-off typically takes you down to 25 to 27% from the highs. From February 11th through May 13th, get this, he notes that the sulfur stocks that he covers are already down nearly 19% on average. Meaning there's a real chance most of the pain has already been taken. Of course, it's possible that they could have even more downside, given how much the software as a service cohort rallied last year. And I'm certainly uh, trying, I'm, I'm trying to call, I, look, to call a bottom here may be silly, all right? And I'm not going to do that. But I do think this is a good time to assess the damage and think about which cloud names are worth buying on weakness, especially since we're headed into what's known as the off-cycle earnings season when we get results from so few, so uh, many of these techniques. But it's very important to know this, okay? We're going to show you that even though these companies have great numbers, it hasn't been enough for the stocks to rally. They're too out of favor in the Wall Street fashion show. You're going to look at these and say, well, why shouldn't he just say bye, bye, bye? It's too dangerous. These could be a source of opportunity because the best of the stocks do actually get cheaper as they go lower. But I'm warning you right now, I am not saying buy these. I am saying look at this. First, let's go through the damage assessment. We put together a list of 75 high-flying tech stocks, mostly cloud software names with real sales. No SPACs allowed. And man, these things have been just put through the meat grinder. As of Friday's close on average, these stocks are down 37% from their highs. Out of 75 total names, 26 of them are down more than 40%. 15 are down more than 15%. The value destruction in this group has been immense. When these 75 high-flying stocks peaked, they were trading at nearly 27 times sales on average. That's very expensive. After all the corners, they're now trading at just 17.5 times sales. That's a huge decline, although to use the word just before that is a little duplicitous because these doesn't make them so they're not expensive. There are different categories here. You've got the highest flyers that used to trade at more than 40 times sales, like Snowflake or Coupa Software, Lemonade, Firm. While they've come down dramatically from their highs, these things are still, you know, pricey. For example, Snowflake still trades at 55 times sales. Now, I love Snowflake, the company's for, it, it, for its terrific data warehousing business. But in this market, owning something with such an elevated valuation has been very difficult. I was hoping to see lots of these stocks come down to more reasonable levels, but only seven of the tech high flyers have gone from having price to sales multiples to single digit, uh, double digit to single digit price to earnings multiples. And that's not enough. And unfortunately, they're um, I'm sorry, price to sales multiples. Jeez. And unfortunately, they're not necessarily the most compelling names. Splunk, for instance, sells for 7.5 times sales. Now, I, I like that one, but it's in the midst of a very big transition to a subscription-based business model. That can be painful for the stock in the near term, even as it's ultimately good for the business. Etsy now sells for nine times sales, but when they reported, their guidance was pretty discouraging. And you could argue that's still too expensive for a retail platform. Now, when you look at the fundamentals of the cloud stocks, for the most part, they're still very impressive. Remember, we use something called the rule of 40. Okay, this is important. I bring it up periodically. The rule of 40 to get a general sense of software as a service companies. That's where you take the revenue growth rate, then add the operating margin or EBITDA margin. And if the sum is greater than 40, the company passes. All right. The idea here is that you can get away with rapid revenue growth and no profitability or slower revenue growth and high profitability. Two ways to win. And when you run the rule of 40 screen on those 75 high-flying tech stocks, 40 out of 75 passed the test. Even though the market's totally turned against this cohort because of the great reopening rotation, business is still good. 
Which brings us to the big question that you've been waiting for. Are any of these tech stocks that pass the rule of 40 tests and also trade at less than 10 times sales worth buying? The answer is yes, but they come with some asterisks. Coinbase passes with flying colors, but the stock has joined it to hit with Bitcoin. And, and holy cow, Bitcoin's been volatile. Every time Elon Musk says something critical about crypto, it gets hammered like today. Plus, Coinbase is expected to have a down year in 2022, uh, which is not great. The stock was awful today again. After that, there's Square, which I like very much, but it's only cheap on a price-to-sales basis because it has real earnings, and it looks less of a steal on an earnings basis. Square has a crypto kicker, too, which has gone from a positive to a negative, at least for the moment. You've also got some high-tech retailers that fit the bill, like Carvana, okay, uh, Coupang. But retailers generally uh, gets lower valuations because Wall Street has a preference for recurring revenue, and retail's all one off. The only true cloud play that passes the rule of 40 and trades for less than 10 times sales is, of all things, Salesforce. You know I love Salesforce. My charitable trust owns it. But it's more of a senior growth name now. It hasn't been a ridiculously high, expensive high flyer in a long time. Plus, the stock has been stuck in a holding pattern ever since they announced that acquisition of Slack late last year. Again, while I'm a believer in Salesforce and I think you can buy it here for the long haul, there's a good chance you can get it even cheaper as long as the economy keeps humming. Now, if you use next year's sales estimates rather than this one, now you get a few more candidates. Okay, there's C-Limited. A lot of people have been asking me about that one. Teladoc, okay, that's a Kathy Wood name. Uh, Bumble, they just reported an uh, outlook that wasn't that good. And DoorDash, which I like very much. They're a lot like the previous group, though, in that they're not really cloud software plays, so they may deserve lower valuations. What about the stocks that passed the rule of 40 tests and traded a little more than 10 times sales on next year's numbers? 15 of these. Uh, some of which I like a great deal. Think Roblox, which I really, really like and think is terrific, even up today. ServiceNow, which I like very much. Affirm, we heard them last week. Ring Central, we heard from them last week. I think you can put on a small position here, but leave room to buy more at lower levels because I wouldn't be surprised if, there's more, if there wasn't more pain in store. Put it all together, though, and I've got to tell you, when you run the numbers, okay, on the high-flying cloud stocks, the results are a bit disappointing. I was hoping to see more cloud names at reasonable valuations after that steep sell-off over the last few months. Unfortunately, we just aren't there yet. Too many of these are still very expensive. So the bottom line, after the recent beatdown, it's still too early to try to call a bottom in the cloud space. There's been a lot of damage done, but given how much the stocks have run going into the sell-off, many of them could still experience a lot more downside before they start looking enticing. Without a major decline in interest rates, I think the cloud cohort will continue to struggle, and there's no hurry to do any buying until we get to lower levels for most, if not all, of these stocks. Dennis in Michigan. Dennis. Hey, Jim. Action alert number here. Thank you for taking my call. Oh, I appreciate it. I hope you like last week's uh, talk. I thought we, we sure didn't try hard enough. Fantastic. Yeah, Thank you. I liked it. So, I took a position in uh, Pinterest a few months back. I liked the growth and opportunity, the growth opportunity and potential, but since its last report, the stock, as we know, is pulled back. I don't need the capital anytime soon, so I'm wondering if I should cost average myself down or sell and put the money to work elsewhere. Uh, I think you just hold it. I think you're gonna, you can get a bump up if we get rates down a little bit. It's a good company. It did get to be too high, as people thought that Microsoft was going to buy it. I think there could always be a takeover over in Pinterest again. I don't think they want to sell, and then you'll get your chance to go. Let's go to Ivani in Connecticut. Ivani. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. I'm a young investor in okay. college, and I watch your show regularly. Oh, I was great. wondering if you can tell me a little bit more about the performance of DocuSign. Do you still think it's a good buy despite its recent dip? 
Um, DocuSign and Zoom are both companies that are uniquely considered to be uh, closing of America's uh, stocks. I think DocuSign's here to stay, uh, but you have to understand that DocuSign is very out of favor right now. If you're willing to hold it for a long time, I think it's going to go back up. But you have to hold it for a long time because a lot of people need to be able to see how well it does with the pandemic running its course. All right, without a decline in interest rates, this cloud cohort that's so expensive is likely to continue to struggle. Much more mad money yet, including my exclusive with Hydro Farm. Could the company offer an under-the-radar way to make some green in the cannabis space? I've got the CEO. Then why Powell is right to be stubborn about inflation. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. As Stanford State legalizes marijuana, there's a lot of money to be made. It's basically a gold rush. But just like the actual gold rush, you don't want to bet on the prospectors. You want to bet on the company supplying them with picks and shovels. Which brings me to Hydro Farm Holdings, a newly public company that makes hydroponics supplies and equipment. You can use hydroponics to grow all sorts of things indoors. But right now, there's tremendous demand from aspiring marijuana farmers. Now, Hydro Farm came public at 20 bucks in December for jumping to $52 and closing on the first day and then soaring all the way to $95 at its peak in February. Since then, though, it's been crushed by the rotation out of turbocharged growth stocks, tumbling to 57 as of today. At these levels, I think you're getting a bargain. Hydro Farm just reported a magnificent quarter last Thursday. Management raised their full-year forecast dramatically. They've been guiding for 20 to 25% revenue growth. Now we're talking 30 to 40%. That is spectacular, yet the stock barely budged in response. I think this one could be too good to ignore, but don't take it from me. Let's check in with Bill Toller. He's the chairman and CEO of Hydro Farm Holdings. Get a better sense of the quarter and his company's prospects. Mr. Toller, welcome to Mad Money. Thanks, Jim. Great to be here. All right, so, Bill, this is your first time on the show, and when we do that, we always give the floor to the CEO so you can tell us exactly uh, what we should be thinking of Hydro Farm and give, give us a little background on the company. Sure, I'd be glad to, Jim, and thank you for having me. Uh, first of all, go birds. That's the most important thing, right? Uh, being a Philly guy like you. you know, Hydroform is, is a 44-year-old company. We own brands. We distribute products. You know, like you said, you don't have to bet on a grower in this industry. Bet on the company that owns and supplies the brands that the growers use. And that's what we do. We sell equipment. We sell lighting. We sell soil or grow media. We sell, we sell uh, nutrients. All these are the key products that growers need, whether it's a home user, a commercial user. And we primarily sell, Jim, through the retail channel. So we sell through the grow generations of the world, the green coast of the world, all those 1,200 beautiful independent hydroponic retailers that are out there. That's who we primarily work with. And of course, on the other side, we also work with the commercial grows, the multi-state operators. We consult with them, we advise them, and then we work through our retailers and our other third-party partners to get product to them and really help them uh, improve their yields, lower their costs, and overall have greater quality in the products they grow. Bill, J.P. Morgan says the price of your products is pretty inelastic. What, are they, what does that mean? Because to me, it means you, you got a good thing going. Well, we think we have a great thing going, Jim, and it really comes down to the fact that at the end of the day, when you're when your end user, your grower, can sell the product that they're growing for fifteen hundred to two thousand dollars a pound, they're going to make sure that once they get the formula right, they stick with those ingredients. They want to have the formulas right. They want to use the products they know that work, the ones that get them the better yields, the better quality, the more consistency. All of that really adds up to a wonderful business model that allows everybody to make money along the way. All right, so you buy uh, what a company called Heavy 16, and it seems like that must be some important brand name because people are going crazy for it. 
Oh, it's fantastic. Heavy 16 is a primarily a regional business today based out of Los Angeles, very strong pockets of demand in, in Michigan and Oklahoma and so every other large controlled environment, agriculture and cannabis states. We hope to roll this out beyond those key four states and really take it across the country. They're great partners and great friends and guys that we think we can build a really nice business with. And it's very profitable for them, very profitable for us. It really helps me remix our P&L every time we add in one of these companies. You know, I'm going to go back to something. Look, you and I are Philadelphians. Uh, Pennsylvania may pass this soon. And I was thinking, OK, what happens if you farm it? Well, Bill, why wouldn't someone steal your crop? I mean, your crop's so valuable. They're very valuable, and that's one of the reasons that we believe most cannabis will be grown indoors in the short run and over the long run. First of all, indoors, you get four or five crops a year. You get to control quality, consistency, environment, nutrient feeds, lighting, everything. So, yeah, you're going to be growing indoors because that's where the vast majority of the best way to protect your crop, to get the maximum amount of quality and consistency in the crop. And that's really how this industry is going to evolve going forward. So if you're a farmer of this and you buy a hydro farm stuff, you're going to have really good yield. What do you do? I mean, you sell it to a cooperative. I mean, how do you take how do you make money? Well, we make money because we have brands, Jim. We have very oh, no, strong I'm saying, brands. How does the farmer make money? I know you make money. I'm saying like a <laughs> farmer, like let's say the farmer has this explosive crop by using your stuff. What do they do? They, they sell it into the dispensary network. They sell it into the whole overall network that gets in to the ultimate consumer dispensary. And that's where they make money. That's a beautiful part of this whole value chain. And each step of the value chain, everybody has a chance to do well. Well, to me, uh, this seems like uh, you have a controlled environment. You can do it pretty much in the, your basement if you want to. If you, if you hook up with, with, a, uh, with a grow generation using hydrofarm products, that at a certain point, everyone's going to be doing this. Well, I, I think so. I think it's uh, people love to farm. People love to grow their own. People love to have their own indoor, you know, especially in the last 12 months. People have been growing more than they ever have, all kinds of crops. And, yeah, that's exactly what they do. And we see growth. Very, very broadly. This is not just in the new legalized states. This is really in almost every state, in every, you know, mature markets, new markets, emerging markets, markets that haven't passed yet. All of that speaks to this incredible opportunity of just, you know, broad-based growth. One last question. How much of your business is cannabis versus other products like, you know, say indoor tomatoes, which I'm thinking about growing? Yeah, I mean, probably we don't get great numbers on this because there's not a Nielsen or IRI like there was in my last world. Yeah, we probably guess 75, 80 percent of this is cannabis. Okay. But one thing you can't forget, Jim, is 60 percent of adults in the U.S. still don't have access to legal cannabis right. in this country. And that's a real shame. I was the CEO of Hostess. And if I told you that Twinkies couldn't be bought by 60 percent of the U.S., you would realize there's a lot more growth in that business. Oh, too. That's so, why I like your business very much. Bill Toller, <laughs> chairman, CEO of Hydro Farm. Guys, this business is just on fire. That money's back after the break. Coming up next. Let's make money together. What do we got? Kramer's bringing the thunder and answering your burning questions in today's edition of The Lightning Round. It is time! It's over the And then the lightning rounds are, are you ready? Ski Daddy, come to the lightning round. Let's start with Nick in Illinois. Nick! Jimmy, chill. Yo, chill, chill. What's up? So I'm calling in today about Anthony, ticker ANTM. I've been long since February and was wondering what you think of the company. I think if anything, I would buy more of it. That's how much I like that. I'm going to throw in UNH and UMAN. I'm giving you a threesome. Let's go to Mike in New Jersey. Mike. 
Tim, chill, booyah, and God bless from an old 11 wall, 14 wall guy. All right. Well, my children and their friends are all vegans. I'm a carnivore, but it's in my diet. Ethan Brown and the Beyond Meat team seem to have a viable concept and are doing reinvestment and expansion in Europe, China, and U.S. stores with a variety of more affordable, available, healthy, mm-hmm. non-GMO products. But looking at the repetitive one-year chart, the shorts are all over it. Beyond they are all over it, but I'm a believer. Call me a believer. I got to tell you, I think that this one is a winner. Longer term, short term, obviously a loser. I'm, I'm no idiot. Let's go to Joe in New Jersey. Joe. Hello, Mr. Kramer. Long-time viewer, first-time caller. Oh, what's going on, partner? Listen, uh, you know, not so long ago, this stock was over $400. This past Friday morning, I see it at $188, $189. I couldn't help myself, so I had to press the buy button. I went against what all the talking heads are saying, not to buy tech, just mega tech stocks. Anyway... Since that Friday morning, it went up by around 14%. What do I do with this great company, Snowflake stock? I I want you to hold Snowflake, okay? I want you to hold Snowflake because Frank Slootman runs that company. I know it sells at 55 times sales, but I will tell you this. He will make money for you because that's what he does is make money. So please don't dump it, okay? Please do not dump Snowflake. Matt in Alabama, Matt. Jimmy Chill. Yeah. Hey, I got a quick question I got about a SPAC. The okay. SPAC has manufacturing facilities on three continents. It's vertically integrated. And last week, they just announced an R&D facility in Florida for commercial EV battery solid state. Tuscan Holdings, Jim. Oh, man, EV battery. We got three down tonight. We got Canoe that wasn't good. We have Fisker that wasn't good. XL. I, I don't know. You got to take some pain there. As long as you want to take some pain, you're going to be taking some pain. Let's go to Pratik in Texas. Pratik! Hey, Jeb. Greetings from Austin, Texas. How are you? Going good. How are you? I'm good, thanks. My question is in regards to ticker symbol AFL, Affleck. Ah, good Good insurance company. Not great, not bad. Kind of a ho-hummer. All right? Got a ho-hummer. And that's all it really is. Let's go to Robert in Maryland. Robert! Oh yeah, Jimmy Chill, how's it going? Man, you're all fired up. I'm good. How about you? Pretty good. Hey, look, thanks to you and all your team. You guys work hard. I just want to say thanks. Yeah, our team is terrific, and I thank you for saying that. I do love these people. I love the team. It's excitement here. What's up? Awesome. Hey, look, how do you feel about Proto Labs? I don't know Proto Labs. I think you just stopped me. Proto Labs is one that just passed right over my head. Just kind of like, whoosh. I don't know it. I'll have to do some work. Let's go to Mark in Florida. Mark. Hi, Jim. I hope you're well. I am doing Um, well. Thank you for asking. What's going on? Well, first, I want to thank you for the advice on Roblox. Ah, That's such a good one. That's such a good one. Uh, Next, Dr. Kramer, I need your prescription. Is United Microelectronics a buy at this level? I think so. Uh, I think so. It's just doing really well. I mean, the chart is wrong. The stock is doing well. I'm okay with it. I really am. Let's go to Cheryl in Florida, please. Cheryl. Hi, Kramer. How are you today? I am good. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. Appreciate all that you do to keep us informed. Thank you. You did talk about a stock a few months ago, Emergent, as an up-and-coming stock. And obviously, with the J&J issues, things Uh, did change. Jimmy Chill is that Jimmy Chill is hard-pressed to be chill on that one. 
Uh, that's a disaster, and I'm being really, really nice, okay? I feel bad for J&J that they ever decided to contract with them. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round! The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, when can stubborn save investors from themselves? Kramer couldn't be happier to see Jay Powell dig in his heels. Find out why next. All right, let's say J-PAL gives so many commentators and money managers what they really want by raising interest rates. What happens then? First, I want to make it clear that I don't think we'll crack under pressure. Powell's committed to holding rates low in order to put more people to work. Right now, we have 6% unemployment. That got down to 3.5% without any inflation back in 2019, meaning we're nowhere near full employment. We know he could cut minority unemployment in half. He knows there's a huge human cost to raising interest rates and eradicating inflation isn't always worth the trade-off. A lot of people you hear from every day seem to believe that inflation is unacceptable, but mass unemployment is a necessary evil. Fortunately, Powell disagrees. But let's say he changes his mind and decides to take it. The first thing that happens, the same people who've been hectoring him to raise interest rates will keep hectoring him. <laughs> That's what they do. And the mommy do it even louder. Second thing that happens, long-term interest rates go down while he raises the short rates because demand will go lower. Then third, we'll get an inverted yield curve or thereabouts where long rates go below the short rates. Never a good sign. The fourth thing that happens, once the rate hikes start, they keep coming. And at that point, we'll be likely be predicting a recession. Keep that in mind whenever you hear anyone preaching about how the Fed needs to tighten. They may be pushing for a recession, often because, not always, but often because they want to keep their labor costs down. Fifth, if Powell starts tightening here, the unemployment rate's headed back to 7 or 8%. At that point, we need Congress to step in with more stimulus. But I think the Senate's way too paralyzed by partisanship to pass anything meaningful. Sixth, and finally, the cycle starts over again. Once the Fed rate hikes <laughs> cause a recession, we'll have to start cutting rates in order to save the economy. All right, what's the alternative to this cycle of pain? Let me give you the truth here. Simple. We let the inflation play out. Maybe it's transitory. Maybe it's not. Either way, I'd rather take an inflationary hit than a recessionary hit. That said, a lot of this inflation sure seems transitory. Look at what's driving it. First, there's mineral inflation. Right now, we're running out of copper. But at some point, the gold mines will start boosting production. And copper is its main byproduct. Meanwhile, the junk pickers will start paying waste management for copper scrap. China will slow its ordering. They're the biggest buyers. And their economy is already cooling, according to the numbers we got just this weekend. Second, We've got lumber inflation, but a lot of that's because of tariffs on Canadian lumber. All we need to do is drop the tariffs and the price will come down. And that now seems in the works. Third, plastic prices have skyrocketed because winter storm Uri shut down so many plastic plants along the Gulf Coast. This is something that's rarely talked about. But once those facilities come back online, and admittedly they should have come back online already, plastic prices will plummet. Fourth, we've got surging crop prices, but we've seen this movie before. Farmers will buy lots of new equipment and start planting like mad, which causes prices to come back down. There's been three cycles like that in the last decade. Fifth, oils jumped to $66 a barrel, but every time the price of oil rebounds to these levels, drillers in the Permian Basin add lots of new capacity. That's where all the oils really from, the, you know, these incremental oil that we have, so crude oil comes back down. Six, the big chip makers like Taiwan Semi, we know what they'll do. They'll switch from producing DRAMs to flash memory, where prices are rolling over because of the age of remote work is coming to an end. And they can start supplying more auto chips at high prices until the automakers can catch up to the demand for their product. And hopefully NXPI starts making more than they are. 
Seventh, we've got housing inflation in the suburbs because COVID has allowed so many people to work remotely. As the world goes back to normal, that will come to an end because your boss is going to make you go back to the office. Eighth, steel mills start adding new capacity, which prices, that pushes prices down. Plus, I expect the Biden administration to be a lot less aggressive about cracking down on Chinese dumping, usually they do it through Mexico, than his predecessor. For better or worse, there's no Peter Navarro in this administration. Ninth, as home building slows, so will demand for new appliances and similar products. That creates a glut, and gluts cause lower prices. Tenth, and finally, technology continues to be a powerful driver of deflation. As disruptive technology displaces expensive goods and services, there's more downward pressure on the price level. So let's put it all together. Most of the inflation we have right now is driven by shortages, and shortages tend to be self-correcting. Prices go up, so companies have more supply, then prices normalize, problem solved. To everyone calling for the Fed to tighten, maybe have a little more faith in the free market, would you? If we let this process play out, we'll have a soft landing, and Jay Powell will look like a genius and a hero of our time. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you, like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.